Okay, so let's do our visualization of all the Buddhas and all the sentient beings. So really think of the the people that are conducting the war right now that are so harmful to others and also creating the cause for their own horrible future rebirths. And let's think that we're leading them in taking refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, them and everybody else, all the people who are dying too, So although we can't get everybody involved in the war, both the perpetrators and the victims and the spectators and everybody involved uh, together and teach them the Dharma, and they are not necessarily interested in it, at least not in this life. But when we imagine leading them in taking refuge and in generating bodhicitta. We're planting seeds in our own mind so that when we meet them in a different lifetime, when they're more receptive, then we'll be able to help them and teach them and lead them and guide them on the path. So it's important We generate that motivation now, and it'll ripen in some future life. Because if we just throw up our hands and say it's useless and I can't do anything, then for sure, even in future lives, we won't have that connection with them and be able to help them. At least if we do this in this lifetime, we're establishing some connection. So we want to connect, actually, with all the living beings. So make sure that your bodhicitta includes each and every living being. So I've seen my teachers uh, create these kind of karmic links with uh, other sentient beings. Uh, Sangwir Bache, the previous one, um, when we took him to the beach in Southern California, there were sea anemones. Those are the ones that, yeah. And so Bache had his mala, and he would drop it into their mouths, and they would close. You know, and then he'd pull it out and he'd go to the next one. 
and like that. So he was making some kind of connection because he was very, you know, focused on doing that, making that connection with those sentient beings. Zobarimache, when he's driving in a car, if there's a roadkill, he stops the whole car. Doesn't matter how many people are waiting for the teaching. Car stops, he gets out and he does prayers for the roadkill. Yeah. So, you know, it could be cats or dogs or raccoons or whatever. So making that connection with those living beings. And so that's what we do too, you know, when we uh, imagine the sentient beings around us, when we say mantras over bugs, you know, when we uh, say mantras to the kitties. And, you know, don't poo-poo it because that could be the way that we actually got to meet the Dharma too, you know. Sometimes I think, how in the world did somebody like me create the virtue to to meet the Buddha's teachings and to meet really excellent teachers? You know, and I think, well, maybe I was a flea. My, you know, my teacher shemmed up in some previous life and said some mantra and, and threw me on my way. <laughs> or maybe if he's a really Bodhisattva, put me back in so I could be warm and eat lunch, you know. <laughs> the Tibetans tell a story of, um, what was it? It was a scorpion. Because when, if you've ever seen them debate, sometimes they'll, sometimes not always, they'll stand in, in, in a row according to the classes, you know. So the the little boys here, and then the next one, next one, next one, next one. Okay, and so there's a story of of um, one monk uh, who was studying, and he, you know, he started out with the little ones, and like he was a great debater, you know. And then he next class he was really good debating next class, so. He got through many of the classes, really, really good debater. And then he hit another class, and all of a sudden, he he couldn't debate very well. And so everybody was really puzzled by it. Why was it that he was so excellent before, and now he, he couldn't, you know, figure anything out? So there was somebody, one of the lamas there had uh, psychic abilities and saw that in a previous life that monk had been a scorpion and he was out in the debating guard, uh, uh, yard when the monks were debating and he started at, at, with the little boys and he heard all their debates and on to the next class and the next class and he heard all the debates, so he, you know, had that all imprinted in his mind, all the points and how you do it. And then at one point he got to one class, which was the class where he couldn't, where he was stumped, and somebody saw him and took him out and put him somewhere. So he never heard the debates from the higher classes. Yeah. So they say just... Hearing things puts some good imprint on the mind. 
Okay, so we're on page 188 still. <laughs> yeah, so on the reflection. So imagine your death and the dying process. Okay, so I think I mentioned before there's two ways to meditate on death. One is the nine-point death meditation, and then the other one is uh, imagining your own death. Okay, so I suggest, uh, you know, during this time, you could do it yourself, or it might be good if somebody, for maybe not everybody has done the meditations, so it might be good if somebody led them, you know, at some point, you know, in different sessions, uh, and really spend time on the points. They're, they're quite, uh, there's a lot to think about. And the one especially where you're imagining your death, you know, you really think about it. You know, you haven't been feeling well and you went to the doctor and they did a bunch of tests and you came home and then you got a phone call and it was from the doctor, not the nurse. So then, and the doctor says, uh, why don't you come in? And then you know, uh-oh, because if everything were okay, probably the nurse would have, you know, the assistant would have called and said, you're okay. So then you go in and, you know, you're talking to the doctor and he gives you some diagnosis. So think of, you know, maybe it's kidney disease or liver disease or cancer or, you know, who knows what. And you got that diagnosis and you're shocked, and you know, and how are you going to feel? And when you leave the doctor's office, where are you going to go? Are you prepared to go home, you know, to or to wherever you live and be with other people? Or are you going to want to be alone, you know, and figure it out? And if when you are with other people next, are you going to tell them? And then how are you going to deal with all their reactions? Uh-huh. And then as time goes on and and... You know, all your friends really love you, but everybody is giving you advice about the latest thing to cure cancer. Yeah, you know, it's like you do, you mix Clorox with aromatherapy and add some sugar, and it's, you know, it's definitely going to work. And, you know, I mean, that's what people do, isn't it? You know, and then they there's this great uh, clinic in the middle of Kenya, uh, you know, in the in the animal reserve that you can walk out to, and the the poop of the hyenas has something in it that will definitely cure you. <laughs> you know, seriously. If you've known anybody who's been terminal, this is what happens. And yeah, so how are you going to deal with all these people? And how are you, you know, how are you going to deal with the people you care about or that care about you or people that, you know, maybe care about you, but not in the way you want to be cared about, like they're fussing over you all the time, but you don't like to be fussed over or you like to be fussed over, but they're really cool and, you know, barely say anything to you. So, you know, you really go through all these permutations and here you are dying of cancer 
but there's everybody around you. Yeah. And, and how are you going to deal with all of that? And how are you going to deal with your own mind? And if you think memories are coming up in meditation now that if things that you haven't thought of in years, what happens as, you know, you're getting towards death and things are coming, coming up? And do you have, and you feel really sorry for something that you said to, to uh, a family member, let's say, so you know where the person is and you feel really bad and you want to apologize, but you're too proud. You, you can't, you can't get yourself to go there and apologize, you know, because they're going to start a whole conversation and then it's going to turn ugly, but you really need to say something. Yeah. So you you go through all these things, and and what are you going to do with your mind? And are you going to say something, or are you going to stuff it? And if you, you know, if you realize you can't stuff it, how are you going to say it? And are you sure the person is going to react the way you think they're going to react? Okay, so all these these kinds of things to you know, and and it really shows you the importance of keeping things clean, cleaning things up now. Don't wait until we're, we have a, a terminal diagnosis because we already have one. So, um, you know, keep, uh, if, if we don't feel comfortable about things, we need to make amends, you know, without procrastinating and saying, oh, manana, later, no, no, no. Yeah. And if there's something between you and somebody else that's really bothering you, yeah, and you still don't feel comfortable about talking about it with the other person, then really work on it in your, in your own mind. Apply the thought training teachings. Yeah. Do that visualization of this being in a situation with that person and the Buddha's there too or Tara, whoever you want. And say the mantra and purify everybody involved in that situation, you know, so you can kind of let go of all this stuff. And if there's people who've died already and and you need to do this, you visualize them do the same thing. Okay? So, um, yeah. And then as you lose power and uh, you become bedridden and weaker and then you need help, you know, going to the bathroom and help eating. And and then, you know, everybody comes and you have you made your will? Do you have your advanced directive? What did you put in your advanced directive? Oh, I don't know if you should said that. Maybe you should say this in your advanced directive. Are you really sure that you want to give your old T-shirts to that somebody? That person, I think, you know, this other person would really like the souvenir from you and you know, don't wash them. They like the smell and, um, you know, that reminds them of you. And, and, you know, who are you going to give all these things to? And you have closets full of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, you're Melda Marcos incarnated two feet and 200 pairs of shoes. Okay. What are you going to do with them? And all the clothes. And then you start thinking, well, which one should I be buried in? Well, your robes, of course. Yeah, what, you think you're going to get dressed up to lie in, in a casket? 
Yeah, you're going to wear robes your whole life and then put on a fancy dress or a nice suit. Yeah. But, I mean, watch what the mind does. Yeah. I mean, what happens if I die? My parents are alive. Yeah, they don't want me to, to have a dress or a suit lying in the casket. They're, they're not going to want me to wear robes. What are their friends going to say? You make a, a face, you, whatever. I mean, incredible things come up when, when people are facing death. Yeah. And where do you have all your money? And what are you going to do with it? And where is it invested? And let's make sure you have a list of it all. Yeah. Because it's, otherwise it's going to be so inconvenient for people. They have to go through all your stuff. I had some friends, and the um, they were kind of casual acquaintances with an older lady who lived down the street. And when she died, she had put in her will, she had not told them that they were to be the executors of her estate. And so, you know, they went in her house, and, you know, I mean, she had files, like we all have files. But, you know, there were receipts from, you know, buying things 15 years ago, and there were this and that, and comic strips, and just finding out, you know, where her accounts were, and, you know, if she had a will, and where, where who she wanted to give the money and things to, if she had any money. You know, it took them hours and days and weeks to do all of that, you know? Yeah, my, uh, you know, I told you my aunt died the morning of her son's wedding. So my cousin, her, you know, the son, they just had the, the ceremony. And one of my uncles, who was also his uncle, came up and who was a lawyer and said, okay, now what are you, you going to do, uh, you know, with who's the executor and what's going to happen with this and what's going to happen. And started, you know, getting into all these details. Yeah. And I'm going, oh, my God, how's my cousin handling this, you know? Just, you know, his mom died. He just got married. Doing those two things, I mean, each one is a big thing, but in the same day. And then... Our uncle going there and wanting to discuss the will and the estate and this and that, you know. And you don't know what you're going to have to deal with and what people are going to say. So, yeah, so that's the first point in the death meditation. I mean, of the first point in this reflection, you know. Do, do the two meditations at different times, you know. Yeah. And then based on, uh, second point, based on how you have lived and on your habitual tendencies, what types of craving and clinging are likely to arise in your mind at this time? Yeah. What are you going to be thinking about? 
I'm dying. Why did they put me in this bed? I don't like this bed. Don't they know that I want to be in another bed? Yeah. Or you're dying and, you know, oh, I'm so hungry. I want something to eat. Or I want somebody to hold my hand. Or I don't want anybody to touch me. But you can't say it, you know. So, yeah, what are you craving? What are you clinging to? Yeah, I don't want to leave my body. I don't know what's going to happen to me. Yeah, where, what's going to happen to me? Uh, am I ceasing? You know, because there's a, a, a sensation as if, as if, you know, because the, the uh, different consciousnesses are absorbing. There's a cessation, like you're vanishing, you're, disappearing into nothing, and that's terrifying for some people. Okay. Are you going to think about the Dharma at that time? Or are you going to go, oh, I really should have practiced. Yeah, they told me not to waste time into practice, and, you know, I just got hung up with that cell phone that grew onto my hand and I couldn't separate from it and spent a lot of time with my phone yeah so are you or are you going to look back at your life and say this was a life well lived you know many lives I'm going to be living many lives on the path to full awakening and this one I I did well yeah, I made some mistakes. I regret them, but I also rejoice at what I did. Are you going to think of your teacher at that time? Yeah, are you going to think of the Buddha? Are you going to think of compassion? Okay, then the third point what kinds of thoughts and aspirations would you? Uh, like to have while you are dying, okay? So in the process leading up to your death, don't don't just go from here I am healthy and then, you know, yeah, from go from the doctor's office. And what kinds of thoughts and aspirations do you want to have while you're processing this fact that, yeah, that you have a limited time What do you want to aspire for? What do you want to think about? Recall that these will influence which karmic seeds are nourished and become renewed existence. So, you know, we're very much creatures of habit. What we're familiar with this lifetime, then chances are those kind of thoughts and ideas will come up at death too. And then four, how can you train in these thoughts and aspirations, the virtuous ones, now, so that your mind will be in a virtuous state then? Yeah? So how are you going to do that? Because we we look and, you know, in the morning we all wake up and we make that determination every morning. And then 
we're out to lunch for, you know, a good part of the, of the day. So how can we keep bringing the mind back to something virtuous? So that's the reflection. Okay, now to go on to, to um, the 11th link, birth. So birth is the aggregates that exist in the nature of the ripening result, bound by afflictions, and joined to a new life in samsara, under the control of afflictions and karma. Okay, so birth is your aggregates, four or five aggregates, yeah, that exist in the nature of the ripening result. So remember, that's the realm you're going to be born into, the aggregates that you're getting. That's the ripening result. And that ripening result is not a fresh slate that you're starting out new, but rather, you know, you're bound by afflictions. All your afflictions are coming with you. And you're joined to a new life in samsara. So you're taking a new body. You're in a new circumstance. You don't know anybody who's around you. You don't even know what realm you're in. You don't know what you're supposed to do. Nothing. Okay. So you're joined to a new life and under the control of afflictions and karma. Yeah. So, you know, when... When you're in the bardo state, it's not like, you know, you kind of look down and, you know, okay, uh, I'm taking applications for mom and dad, you know. Who wants to have me? Who am I going to go to? Oh, yeah, yeah, they look okay. They want to be good looking, so I'll take those parents. But, gee, they fight a lot. No, no, let's put that. I don't want to go to them. Let's try another one. It's not like that. You're not window shopping for parents. Yeah. You're in the bardo and quite confused. And whatever seems attractive that's going to offer you some kind of security, uh, you head towards that. Because that's, that's the way we live, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so ordinarily, we think of birth as a baby coming out of the mother's womb, breathing on her own and beginning her life. So we always think of birth as, wow, you know, something new, a new life, an adorable baby. Yeah. It's quite amazing looking at the pictures of the refugees, how many kids, you know, because... Over well over a million kids are refugees, but some of them, you know, there's one guy. It's like his his child was born four days ago, and the maternity hospital that they bombed uh, two days ago. Then and one of you know several of the women were injured. Well, the neck they transferred them to another hospital, and one of the women. Uh, was had her baby the very next day. Yeah. And they were, you know, she, she looked kind of worn out. Her husband was like really happy. But um yeah. 
For mammals, birth occurs when the consciousness joins with the fertilized ovum. The resultant consciousness, which is the second part of link three. So remember, link three had the causal consciousness and the result consciousness. Okay, so the resultant consciousness, the second part of link three, is the continuation of the mind stream of a being who has left its former body. Because I remember when we were talking about link three, you know, and calling it the consciousness, yeah, the causal consciousness, and then talking about the resultant consciousness. And some people got confused, like, well, what happened between the causal and the resultant consciousness? Was there no consciousness at all? Was Is this a separate consciousness that happens and goes out of existence? No, it's this, the link is marking. You, you have the whole continuity, continuum of consciousness. And it's saying, we're paying attention to this moment and we're paying attention, attention to that moment. Okay? So it's like getting the building permit. Yeah? So venerable... Uh, a Sumpton had to take all the papers in. So there's this whole continuity, yeah, of her mind. And we're talking about the building permit and, and her role in the building permit. So what's she going to think about? The moment, you know, that she took the application into the building department. Yeah. And then she's going to talk about the moment that several years later. <laughs> Yeah, where she picked it up. So during this whole time, she had a cont- continuum. The, the building permit was a continuum. Nothing disappeared. It's just when she's going to talk about the story of the building permit, she's highlighting two specific times in, in those continuities. Okay. Okay. So this consciousness that's coming into the new body brings uh, with it all the karmic seeds and latencies of afflictions that were present in the previous life. So wouldn't it be nice if when you died, your afflictions just ceased? Your your karmic uh, latencies and, and seeds just stop, no no latencies of the afflictions either, you know, kind of like they just all became non-existent. Yeah, you, you got a, what is it, a reboot. Yeah? So you got rebooted, you're going into your next life totally fresh. No, it's not like that. Yeah? Okay, so it's talking about bringing with the karmic seeds and the latencies of afflictions. Yeah? So what are the karmic seeds? Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. They're abstract composites. What kind of obstructions are they? Afflictive. Okay, afflictive obscurations. Yeah. Latencies of afflictions. Afflictions have seeds and they have latencies. What's the difference between the seeds of the afflictions and the latencies? And, and, you know, 
it seems like the seeds of the affliction should come with too. Does that mean because I didn't mention it, that it didn't come with, that that one got canceled? Yeah, so what what are the, the seeds of the afflictions and the latencies of afflictions? Yeah? Does it, maybe the seed of, of the affliction is the potential for that affliction to arise again in the mind, whereas the latency is just like the... Um, the residue of the afflictions um, ever being in the mind of that type. Um, and the, the seeds of afflictions is a afflictive obscuration, the latencies of the cognitive obscuration, obstruction to omniscience. Yeah. Okay. So all that comes with you. Yeah. And, and you don't have to worry about it getting lost in the transition. Yeah. Or getting accidentally deleted. Uh, it just all follows us. So these will condition many aspects of the new being, which body with its specific genetic makeup uh, that being will take rebirth in. Yeah, their upbringing, their experiences, and their tendencies in the new life. So you're bringing forth, yeah, the karmic seeds that will ripen into all of this. Does that mean that everything is predestined, that all the karmic seeds that are going to ripen in that life are kind of like uh, on the top of the pile and they're already starting to ripen and you're, yeah, and it's kind of predestined? No, doesn't mean that, okay? Because... You know, to, the the cooperative conditions are very important in terms of which karma ripens. What you're thinking about, what you're doing, what you're aspiring for. And, you know, because there's gazillions of karmic seeds in the mind. And so uh, these cooperative conditions, lots of which are in this very life, yeah, will influence which ones ripen. So whenever I, I think about this, I think of my friend Teresa, who uh, we we sat next to each other at my very first Dharma course in Lake Arrowhead, California. And uh, she had been to Copan before. I, of course, hadn't. This was my first course. And, uh, and then I decided I wanted to go. And she said, okay, we will uh, you know, I'll see you in, in, um, at Copan and, uh, we'll go down to Freak Street and have some chocolate cake together before the course starts. Cause we've become friends during this course. So I said, yeah, that'll be great. Okay. So we, I get to, to Copan and Teresa wasn't there and, uh, you know, she had other friends from the course and we're all waiting for Teresa to come and she's not there and the course starts and Teresa's not there and everybody's getting really concerned. And then I don't know how we finally found out if her parents told us or I, I can't remember how we found out, but, um, there had been one French guy who was in Thailand, and uh, he was a, uh, a serial killer, and he had killed Teresa in Bangkok. 
That's why she didn't make it to Copan. And apparently she met him at a party. You know, you're, everybody's a young traveler. What do you do? You go to parties with other young travelers and some of the local people. And, you know, maybe you have something to drink or something to smoke or whatever. And, you know, you're at a party and you meet people because you're social. So she met this guy and he, you know, invited her out to lunch the next day. She accepted the invitation and they went out to lunch. And then uh, the next thing they, they know about her, they found her body in a Bangkok canal. So it makes me think, you know, what was going on in her mind? I mean, because she clearly had one of those uh, heavy karmas that cause an untimely death. You know, so that was already, that karmic seed was already in her mind stream. But what made that karmic seed ripen then? Yeah. Well, you know, it was the thing of going to a party. Yeah. So what's the motivation when you go to a party? What do you do at a party? Yeah. And then you meet some guy. And you think, oh, he looks nice, and he invites you out to lunch. Yeah, and what's your motivation for for going? <laughs> and, you know, because when you look at this, all these kinds of decisions that that she made led to the circumstance whereby, you know, he, he was there and he could get his hands on her and I don't know how he killed her. I don't know how it was. If he poisoned her or strangled her, I don't know. But, yeah, but you can see, you know, how, where she was and what she was thinking and what was going on impacted what karma ripened. At that time. Yeah. And she was on her way to a virtuous activity. Right. Yeah. And they say that when you're going to do something virtuous, every step you're going to do that is, is you're creating some virtue. But something else, you know, came up in the mind during all of that. Okay. So it just... Um, it's kind of like, well, if you drink and then you drive, yeah, aren't you kind of making it easier for any kind of karma that, you know, causes an, untime an untimely death to ripen? Yeah, I mean, you're kind of setting yourself up for that when, when you do some of those things, yeah. And some of us have talked about the things that we've done other times in our life that it's like a miracle that some kind of really heavy karma did not uh, ripen at that time. Yeah, I mean, I can think of things that I did and I'm like, wow, 
I was so fortunate. So somehow all the conditions, you know, weren't there at that time. But then, you know, for Teresa at that one time, they were. Yeah. So it makes us more aware of, I mean, all the intricacies of of creating karma and karma ripening. And it makes us want to be more aware of what our motivations are. Yeah. Those seemingly insignificant decisions. Yeah. And how they are not actually always insignificant. So the link of birth lasts only a moment. From the second moment onward, aging or death occurs. Now, how long is a moment? The length of time it takes to accomplish something. They don't tell you what you're accomplishing. So whatever that moment was, in this case, I think it's probably a short moment because you can be born and then, you know, enter the fertilized ovum in the case of a human rebirth and then leave the next moment, die the next moment. That's why it says aging or death because if you're, if you leave that the next moment, then it's aging and death. Yeah, I mean, then it's it, there's no aging. It's just birth and death. Yeah, most of us have birth and then aging and, and death. Okay. Birth is the cause of aging and death. Yeah. Do we think birth was the cause of aging and death? No, no, I have all this wrinkled skin because I was at the beach. No, that's why I have so many things on my skin because I was in the beach too often and never used suntan lotion. And, you know, uh, yeah, this hurts because I, you know, got in an accident in high school or whatever it was. Okay, Um, so we never think of birth as the cause of aging. And that aging is a natural process that all of us are doing, and nobody is exempt from it. But we like to think that it's only people who are older than us who have aged. Yeah. We we are still young. Yeah. And look, we can walk faster than those old people walking up. Uh, the S-curve, look how fast I can go. Yeah, I'm so much faster than those old nuns, you know, who are like, ah, 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 getting up the hill. Yeah. Right, yes. Yeah. yeah. And then you're always looking, you know. Whose skin? Oh, my skin has looks a little bit younger than that person's skin. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, gray hair? Uh, I think they have more than that I do. Yeah. 
I mean, when I shave my head, the gray is all in front because I can see when I shave my hair that some of it's dark. So the whole backside must be dark. <laughs> so I, you know, they, that these other people have, you know, I look younger than them. And the fact now that I have to use a toothpick after I eat, well, that's not really because I'm old. Yeah, it's I don't know some. Yeah, my my gums are receding. Yeah, because the the bones are no bones aren't anything. It's gums that they're receding. It's a natural process. It happens faster in some people than in others. Anyway, I hardly use the the toothpick at all because they don't give me long enough to even eat my meal <laughs> before they start the dedication. So I don't even have time to use the toothpick. So it's okay. I, I you know, it's okay. I don't. It's not because I'm old. Okay, so, yeah. The link of birth lasts only a moment. From the second moment onward, aging or death occurs. Yeah. I thought it was four, five, four. And she wanted to measure my height. And she said, hmm, you're five, three. I said, oh, no, i got to stand up straight. Oh, yeah, remember standing up straight? Oh, yeah. And then she said, okay, you're five, three and a half. <laughs> no, I'm five, four. No, I was never quite five, four at the start. I haven't shrunk yet. Yeah, my dad shrunk. Yeah, he shrunk a lot when he got old. I'm going to get taller. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those slippers that, that, that you gave me, yeah, I'll, I'll get taller. They have, they have some nice heels on them. <laughs> okay. Birth is the cause of aging and death. The Buddha makes the point that without being born, we would not age and die. So here's a quote. If, Ananda, there were no birth at all anywhere, of anybody or anything, of devas in the deva state, of Gandharvas, of yakshas, of hungry ghosts, of humans, of quadrupeds, of birds, of reptiles, you know, any of these to their respective state. If there were absolutely no birth at all out of any of these beings, then with the absence of all birth, the cessation of birth, could aging and death appear? The Buddha asked Ananda. And Ananda said, no, venerable sir. Therefore, and the Buddha kept on, therefore, Ananda, just this is the root, the cause, the origin, the condition of aging and death, namely birth. Yeah. So anything that we start 
to do or anything that comes together has to go apart. So any close relationship we have with anybody is not going to last forever. Yeah. It will, if it doesn't disintegrate uh, before, then definitely at death. People are going to be separated. Many relationships disintegrate before. You know, you think I love you forever. I'm never going to leave you. You're never going to leave me. Leave me. We're going to live happy ever after. For how long? Okay, so whatever comes together is going to fall apart. You know, all your family heirlooms, all your favorite little things that you save, you know, they're all going to fall apart. Uh, You look at lunch, one of our favorite activities during the day, and people work all morning to make lunch. Yeah, you spend hours making lunch. And then... How long does it take to finish it? Yeah, for you. (laughs) Some of us were only halfway through after 17 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I keep thinking, how do we get those people to realize some people eat slowly, that actually, on most days, half of the people have not finished their meal. And it's always the same people who eat fast. And then they never ring the bell loud enough when you're in the kitchen. And then they, you know, you come out and they, where are we? (laughs) Yeah, we've been waiting for you. And then you start to sit down and you're still just starting to sit down and they're almost, and they're already at, oh, and then you sit down, then you pick up your thing and they're already onto the next thing and you have to do this one. Oh, the suffering. <laughs> okay. So... We are, uh, in society, birth is usually seen as auspicious, and people joyously welcome the birth of a child. We are blind to the inevitable result of birth, aging, and death. When we train our minds to see the complete picture of life, birth, aging, sickness, and death, our aspirations will turn towards liberation. As noted above, birth may happen in four ways. So this is from the ancient perspective. Birth from the womb, okay, birth from eggs, so chickens and birds, heat and moisture, bugs. Yeah, this is also in the West, you know, the way they thought bugs were born. And spontaneously. So hell beings, devas, and bardo beings are born spontaneously without having to go through a developmental process. So when you're born in the bardo, boom, there you are. They say maybe 
you look like an eight-year-old child. But I don't know, maybe some people like look like four years old and some people look like 84 years old. I don't know. Don't ask me that. Okay? <laughs> um, okay. So all those beings are born spontaneously. So without having to, you know, grow up. Um, some hungry ghosts are born from the womb. Others are born spontaneously. Animals are born from the womb, from eggs, and in the case of insects, from heat and moisture. There are instances of human beings being born in all four ways. So these have are put in the scriptures. I don't know which scriptures you can find those. See, I'm cutting, I'm answering your questions before you could ask them. Okay. So rebirth afflicts transmigrating beings because it brings aging and death, which are the essential dukkha of transmigrating beings. Yeah. Nobody looks forward to aging and death. Yeah. Maybe when you're a child, you look forward, you know, I can't get, wait until I'm 18 and then 21, and then after 21, it's like you're downhill. <laughs> uh. Okay, so questions or comments so far? Have you heard any of your teachers say anything about the karmic connections that we may have with the parents of this life? Is mm. there, or siblings? Yeah, there's definitely some karmic connection. Yeah. So having known them in a previous life and having had some relationship with them in a previous life, something like that. Now they say sometimes you meet people the, the first time and you're instantly drawn towards them or you're instantly like, oh, I don't like that person. So they say that could be because of karma in previous lives. And that's a good reason why it's not so good to judge people uh, on first meeting them. Because if it's just due to some kind of karma in a previous life, it's, you know, it doesn't mean that they're really great and it doesn't mean that they're really awful. The one thing you do want to do is make strong prayers to always meet completely qualified Mahayana and Vajrayana teachers. Yeah? And if you have teachers in this life that uh, you're very close to or that very, are very important to you, to, to think really that you specifically want to meet them in, in future lives. Yeah. So like I make prayers to meet His Holiness. I mean, all my teachers, because I, I got lucky. I have incredible teachers, you know, so I'd like to meet all of them in the future life. You know, other people, I see they, you know, they have some difficulties with teachers, so. Okay, yeah? Would the latencies of afflictions be reduced during the next rebirth if we work on the afflictions in present life? Is there a continuation of seed of afflictions? Yeah, the, both the seeds of and afflictions, 
uh, I'm sorry, the seeds of afflictions and the latencies of afflictions continue on to the next life. But in terms of when we practice the path, yeah, uh, we're we're first purifying the seeds of the afflictions, and those are abandoned first. And then after they're abandoned, the latencies of the afflictions are abandoned. Okay. Because they, they have different results. The, the, the seed of the affliction, this is all in the, in the previous volume under the chapter of karma. The seeds of afflictions carry the potential so that uh, the affliction can rise again in our mind. The latencies of the afflictions, yeah, are, yeah, just like some leftover residue uh, that, that it's, it's, the latency can also be called like habit or predisposition. And so it's the kind of thing that somebody may have uh, purified their mind very, very well, but then they do kind of strange things. They say arhats, you know, that some arhats will jump up in a tree and swing like a monkey. And it's the latency of, of some affliction, uh, or habit, you know, from a previous life. Huh? So. Yeah. I, I always thought, you know, I'll get enlightened and, have a tissue box, you know. <laughs> yeah. In her left hand, she holds a thermos. In her right hand. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh-huh. Just for clarification, that sentence that says this consciousness brings with it all the karmic seeds and latencies of afflictions that were present in the previous life, but it's also got everything else in there too, right? It's not right. just the latencies from the previous life. It's the latencies oh, of all since beginning yeah. of this time. Oh, it should say previous lives. It says previous life. Okay. Yeah. It should say previous lives. So birth according to the Pali tradition. So there is a debate beginning with the earliest Buddhist schools and continuing to this day about whether there is a period of time between the death of one life and the following rebirth. So this is a debate within the Theravada tradition. Okay, Although no clear statement is found in the Pali Sutras, some passages suggest that there is like a bardo state. It makes sense that in some cases, time is necessary for the, the suitable immediate conditions to come together for a birth that accords with the ripening karma of renewed existence. If the parents of the next life are in different places at the moment someone dies, a period of time is needed for them to come together again. Okay, so you die, but you know, Mom's in, 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 I don't know, Australia, and Dad is in Cameron, you know, so you got to wait for them to, you know, hang out in the bardo. Come on, Mom and Dad, you know, <laughs> or, uh, or, you know, maybe if they never get together, then, then you get some, you know, you have one of those small deaths in the bardo and take, 
different parents, maybe. Okay, birth, aging, uh, sickness, and death have different meanings according to the context. In the Vibhanga, the second book of the Pali Abhidhamma, birth refers not to birth in one of the three realms, but to the arising of a mind moment. Mm -hmm. Aging refers to the impermanence intrinsic in all conditioned phenomena, not to gray hair, aches, and pains. Death is that mind moment sensation, not the upcoming separation of body and mind. Each presentation is valid and useful, but they should not be confused with each other or used to invalidate the other. Okay? So like with all, all the other links, there's two ways that you could speak of, of them. Yeah? So you could talk about, you know, birth, getting born in the body, aging, growing old in, in that lifetime, dying, leaving those aggregates and going into the next life. Or you could think of a mind moment, yeah, and it's arising, and then it's having uh, being uh, having the nature of impermanence, and then it's disintegration, it's cessation. Okay, so both of those exist. It's just different ways of talking about birth, aging, sickness, and death. Sometimes I um, I see that the this link is written as uh, old age, and mm-hmm. I I wonder I just it just puzzles me sometimes because it's it it's, seems it's aging yeah the aging starts from conception yeah, right so it's, it's the translator decided to translate it as old age but it's just one word yeah and it means aging yeah maybe the translator like old age you know. Old age, yeah. Yeah, and the definition of old age changes each decade. Mm 